So, <laughs> so uh, my daughter and I were in Canada uh, a couple of years ago, about five years ago. We were visiting at the time. She lives there now. But at the time, we were visiting. And so we were doing the touristy things, you know. And there is this um, canal in Canada that you can take along the river, and it'll tell you all about the history of Canada. You would love it, Kim. <laughs> and so, you know, we went to buy our ticket. And I just want to tell you this one thing about me. I'm cheap, okay? And so the ticket, when you went to buy your ticket, it said, you know, you get $3 off if you show your school ID. So at the time, my daughter was in college, so I was like, okay, let's pull out your ID. Let's show our ID. And when the guy saw that we were from North Carolina, he got so excited. He's like, you're from North Carolina. You're a redneck. <laughs> and my daughter and I were like, no, we're, we're not rednecks. He was like, yes, you are. You like NASCAR. Who won the game? Who won the race last night? And we we're like, we don't know. And then he told us who won the race. And he was like, and you like basketball. You and see a Duke. And we're like, did you not say we come from Campbell? And he's like, which one do you like? And he's like, oh, and you like Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> have you ever been to Mayberry? Now, to be honest, I do like the Andy Griffith Show, and I have been to Mayberry. <laughs> but he was just insisting that we were rednecks. And so we bought our tickets, and our, our tour was about an hour and a half away from, we had to wait about an hour and a half. So we went off, and we did some more touristy things. And when we came back to ride the boat, we forgot, because there were lots of these places along the canal, and we forgot which one, uh, where we had bought our ticket. And so we went to the wrong one. And we hear, across the canal, we hear, hey, rednecks, over here! So my daughter and I, we just, you know, walked our walk of shame. We had, left, we had left southern United States, you know, where we, you know, have to deal with, you know, um, racism and all this other stuff. And we had left all of that just to go to Canada to be a redneck. That is a picture of the actual canal in Canada. That is ac an actual picture of that. I have a question for you this morning, church. Who are you allowing to define you? Who are you allowing to define you? Who gets to say who you are? Are you allowing your past to define you? Are you allowing your past mistakes to define you? Are you allowing past tragedies to define you? Or are you allowing past regrets to define you? What betrayal, what past sin are you allowing to define? What backstory are you continuing to make your today story? Who are you allowing to define you? Do you allow your parents to define you? Your siblings, your spouse, even your church? Are you allowing this church to define you? Are you allowing this tour boat guy from Canada to define you? Whose voice do you hear in your head when you look in the mirror? What qualifying statements have you allowed to become, what disqualifying statements have you allowed to become your self-talk? Who is defining you today? I'm Elisa and I'm not a redneck. 
And it's good to be with you this morning. I'm, I have to admit I'm a little nervous. I spoke here uh, exactly one year ago, according to Facebook memories. I spoke here exactly one year ago. And when I, I've spoken here before, I've always spoken as sort of extended family. You know, I've spoken and then I've said my little thing and then I leave Josh and Leah to clean up my mess. <laughs> and I go back to my other church, but now I'm not speaking to you like that anymore. I'm speaking to you as one of you. I'm no longer... <laughs> I'm no longer extended family. I've moved in, so I'm here. <laughs> then you should know how many there are in this church. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> and I want to tell you my dress. My dress came from Canada. It's actually, <laughs> it's, I love the Canadian people. Uh, this was actually from the indigenous people of Canada. And I realized today is Indigenous People Day. So there you go. So yes, I love my Canadian friends. I just don't call me a redneck. But <laughs> other than that, we're good. So I've come to you today, and I want you to know a little bit about me. One of my core values, other than being liking to save money, one of my core values is knowing my identity in Christ. I've, I've written books on identity. 1595, you can get it in the lobby. <laughs> and when Leah asked me to speak today, the Lord really just put on my heart to speak on identity. And identity is a huge subject, and I can't do it in an hour, so she gave me next week as well. But it really takes longer than that, so if you guys will stay with me, we can lock the doors and we can be here till tonight. How about that? <laughs> no? Okay. I'll get through as much as I can in, in two Sundays. And so we just finished a great series on the sovereignty of God. And it was great. I, I enjoyed it. It made me think. It made me go deeper into what I believe. And I just enjoyed Pastor Lee and Pastor Josh's take on our sovereignty. But it was actually Brent's sermon that helped me come up with today's title. So you ready? <laughs> and the title is this, God is Sovereign, Now What? At my heart, I'm an engineer. And so my learning is very practical. We don't just learn for the sake of learning. We learn for the sake of what are we going to do with that knowledge. And so God is sovereign. Yay, amen. God is sovereign. Now what? How do I get through my day because God is sovereign? How do I? This has been a hard week for me. Can I just be honest? It's been a hard week. When, when you guys were singing those last two songs, the Lord just started to deal with me. And I was like, Lord, not now. I've got to preach in a couple of minutes. Come on now. Can't be going up there crying. It's been a hard week for me. And I've had to deal with the sovereignty, sovereignty of God. I've had to deal with the goodness of God. I've had to have some serious questions about God's sovereignty, his goodness, his mercy. And I cannot process all of that without knowing my identity in Christ. Because if we try to process the difficulties of this life without knowing who we are, we can come up, like Pastor Josh said, we can come up with some strange theology. God is sovereign. Now what? How do I apply this fact to my everyday life? How do I pray to a sovereign God? What are my responsibilities? That's a big one. What are my responsibilities if God is sovereign? How do we reconcile God's sovereignty and our free will? How do we reconcile God's all-powerfulness with the authority he has given us? How do we reconcile that God reigns, but his instructions to us is that we reign? How do we reconcile all of this? And we do that 
by going back to our identity. God is sovereign. Now what? And to answer this question, I think we need to go back to God's original intent. We like to talk about the original sin, but the original sin is not as important as God's original intent because Jesus took care of the original sin. He took care of that. But now he has left us to walk in what was God's original intent for us as the body of Christ. So let's go back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. What was God's original intent? I'm going to read it from here. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures, crea creatures, create, creatures. <laughs> I teach math. <laughs> that move along the ground. The next slide, please. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The next one. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I want you to talk to me this morning, okay? Let's pretend like we're back in school. I have some questions to you, questions for you. What was God's original intent? We just read it. What was his original intent for man? <laughs> There's going to be a test. I'm a teacher. Come on now. There's going to be a test. What was God's original intent? What? Rule. To rule. Mm -hmm. To do what else? Be fruitful. Be fruitful. And increase. increase. The Bible says to multiply. I always tell my kids, God was the first person to give homework. <laughs> Math homework at that. So to be <laughs> to subdue the earth to multiply to reign to be fruitful that was God's original intent for us I believe this is my personal theology you can take it you can leave it I believe that when Jesus came he reset and died on the cross he reset us back to the original intent of God so I believe God's intent for us is to rule and to reign and to govern this earth that is our job as Christians that is what he has called us to do now when I say that because we have to be careful I don't mean our job is to rule and reign and to govern people that's a very big distinction I believe we are called to rule and reign Joshua men mentioned on his when he spoke he said that there that God created the chaos God created the chaos, and then he created us to bring order to the chaos while we're here on earth. That, I believe, that is our original intent. That word dominion, it, it means to, it's a, to tread down, to subjugate, to crumble off, to prevail against, to reign, to rule, to take authority over. That is what God has called us to do. I want to read you this quote by Jack Hayford. I, I know a lot of you, we've quoted um, John Wimber because uh, this is a vineyard church, but I'm a four-square girl. <laughs> so I'm going to quote Jack Hayford for you. And Jack Hayford says this, From the beginning, God's heart was to build a dwelling place for himself in the earth is seen in his creation of man and woman. Together, the foundation of the house that of the Lord. 
through the two of them together, he intended to live and reveal himself in the world. That's God's intention to us, to live and reveal himself through us. Through them, God intended to manifest his character and authority, his image. We were meant to express his dominion over the earth, display his indisputable power over the works of the darkness, and sub subdue his arch enemy, Satan. The first man and woman were a microism of the church, signaling that God's glory would forever be seen in the earth through the combined expression of male and female. That was God's original intention for us. His original intention was to reveal his glory through us. That was his original intent, and that is his intent in 2021. So what stops us from revealing the true nature of God? What stops us from walking in the power of God? What stops us from demonstrating his power in this earth? And what stops that is our sometimes not knowing who we are. That's why I think identity is one of the most important things that we can study as the body of Christ. It's not about arrogance, but it's about knowing who God has called us to be. What's the New Testament for this? Let's go to Acts 1, 4 through 8. Acts 1, I don't think I have a slide for that, but Acts 1, oh, I didn't, anytime I speak, I do? Okay, good. Anytime I speak, you need to bring your Bibles. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Phones or something, because we're going to go through the Bible. I'm a girl of the word. I love the word of God. So Acts 1, 6 through 8, let's read it. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They didn't get it. They didn't get it. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times of dates the Father has set by his own authority. So if Jesus was black, you know what he would have said to them? That's grown folk talk. <laughs> Don't worry about that right now. That's grown folk talk. <laughs> then they gathered around him and said, Lord, okay, so let's go to the next one. But you will receive, what was his answer to that? What was his, what was his answer, his response to that is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What was God's response to why are you taking the kingdom? What was his response to that? No, don't worry about that. It's not about a physical kingdom. It is not a, okay, can I go here, Josh? Okay. Okay. It is not about <laughs> it is not about who's in the White House. It is not about Republican or Democrat. It is about us, children of God, rising up and doing what God has called us to do, to walk in his power and his spirit and to subdue and govern this world. That's what it's about. And we are so distracted on about who's in the White House, we have forgotten who we are called to be. We are called to rule and reign over this earth. Come on, people, let's get up and do it. You can clap. <laughs> I'm black. I need some amens. I need to hear that. What is this power that God has given us? It's inherent power residing in a thing by its virtue or nature. So let me just tell you, it is power for performing miracles. You got it. You got it. You have power for moral excellence of the soul. You have the power and influence 
which brings riches and wealth. And we're not talking necessarily about money, but we're talking about bringing people into the kingdom of God. You have that power within you. You have power and resources arising from just numbers because we are multiplying. Remember, we're multiplying. We have power consistent, the same power that rests upon armies and forces rests upon us, but we don't use ours as a physical power. It is a spiritual power. We use ours to subdue the darkness of this age. That's who you are. So what stops us from walking in this power? Because in his sovereignty has given us power to govern this world. Then why don't we? <laughs> we don't because we have free will and sometimes we choose not to. He is waiting for us to rise up and walk as children and sons and daughters of God. But let me just tell you something. The enemy knows who you are. And he knows who you are and he's scared of you. He is scared of you. Because he knows if you ever get the revelation of who you are, and begin to walk in it, you're going to kick his sorry butt. <laughs> he is perfectly aware that he's known that since the beginning of time. So we see him at the very beginning. We see him getting Eve to doubt who she was in Christ. He started, his first temptation was not about eating the apple. It was about denying Eve of who she was. That was his first temptation. So let's go there. Let's read Eve. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. And you have part of it there. I want to read the whole thing. So let me see if I can't get my Bible out here. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said to you, you shall not eat of the, fruit, eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And here's, this is, this is where he, he, um, he insulted her identity. He said, for God knows that in the day you eat in the eyes the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. You will be like God if you perform. If you eat this tree, you will be like God. What did God say when he created an Adam? An, an, an Adam? I swear I haven't been drinking. I swear. What is in that communion, Josh? What did God say when he created an Adam and Eve? How did he create them? In his what? She was already like God. She was already like God. She had already been created in his image. She had already been given authority to speak over the darkness. She was already like God. And he tempted her with saying, if you do this, you'll be more like God. And he does the same thing to us today. If you pray a little bit more, God will like you better. <laughs> he, did, he tried the same thing on Jesus. Let's go to Luke 4. Again, when I speak, when you hear him speaking, bring your Bibles. <laughs> Luke 4. And I'm speaking next week. Bring your Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> 
the thing is, I, I'm, I, I, I respect Pastor Leah and Pastor Joshua. I respect them tremendously. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. But whatever they say, I always check against this. <laughs> I always check against this. So I want you to check me against this. So bring your Bibles. And Jesus answered and said to them, it has been said, you shall not, well, let's see, let's, I started in verse 12. Verse, then the devil talking to him on high mountain showed him at the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time. Verse six, and the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you. I'm still starting in the middle. Let me start at the beginning. See, you need your Bible to check me. Okay, then Jesus being filled with, I'm going back to first one. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for de 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, okay, here it is. Here's the first temptation. If you are the Son of God, very first one. What is he questioning? Jesus' identity. If you are the son of God, perform. Command the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Then the devil talking, taking him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, and all will be yours. Once again, Jesus owned everything. He's the son of God. But Satan is saying, and Satan did have a right to it because that right was given to him. Eve gave him the right. Eve gave him the keys to the car. Okay? So he had every right to drive the key. But Jesus, knowing who he was, and Jesus knowing there are no shortcuts, right? Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down here, for it is written. Now, this is Satan quoting scripture. So a lot of times people try to challenge your identity with scripture by taking scripture out of context. That's why we need to know our Bible and not just know what it says, know the heart behind what God said. We not only need to know the word, we need to know his heart. And he said, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. In their hands they shall bear you up, bear you up, let you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And I want you to notice this. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, temptation he departed for him until an opportune time you're going to win the win battles but the satan is unrelenting he does not relent so you can declare your your who you are in christ and you may win that battle and he will come back and you have to declare it again it is a battle just two weeks ago i'm texting leah because I am doubting who God has called me to be. I am doubting the call on my life, and I'm texting Leah, and she looks all nice, but she threatened to rebuke me. I just want you guys <laughs> to know that. I just want you to know that. She looks all nice, but she threatened me. God is sovereign. Now what? Jesus knew his identity. He walked in it powerfully. Jesus accomplished a lot in three years because he knew what he was. And, and, and I want you, I want to be like Jesus. 
I want to know who I am, and I want to walk in my identity unapologetically. Because people are quick to define you, quick to put you in a box, quick to limit you. You're from North Carolina, so these are the boxes you must check. And the church, unfortunately, is no different. We define people by their giftings. We say, oh, you work in children's ministry, you have to stay there. You can't speak on Sunday morning. You're a child's ministry worker. You, you are a youth pastor. You got to wear tight, skinny jeans and <laughs> rim glasses and be tat. Did you guys check Lou's credentials? Because he doesn't follow that. <laughs> Is he really a youth pastor? Come on now. Never allow anyone to define you. Never allow anyone to define you. Here's the like, your life hack. Okay, here's the life hack. Never allow anyone or anything to define you other than the one who created you. Amen. Only God knows your true identity. So we have to go to him to get who we are. Your past can't define you. Your circumstances don't define you. Your ethnicity doesn't define you. Your, where you were born doesn't define you. The church can't define you. Your spouse and your family, they can't define you. Only, only God can define you. Only God has an accurate uh, picture of who you are. Amen. You can't even allow your, you can't even trust yourself to define you. Amen. Who does God say you are? And God has a lot to say about who you are in this book. And I would love to spend, you know, days and days and days with you, but I just want to have time to go over today two of the most prevalent lies, and then next week we'll talk about another one. Okay, so you ready? Here's one of the most prevalent lies. And it sounds, remember how, how the enemy took a truth and he kind of twisted it? And that's what we do with this lie. This is the lie, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Have we said that? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If you are still a sinner, let's pray, let's get you saved today. Don't walk out of this door being a sinner. Amen. We can get you saved today. Okay, for only $19.99. That's the price of the book. If you want salvation, you know, come on now. I always like those. <laughs> I always like those uh, televangelists that sell in favor. And I always tell people, if you want to buy favor, just come to Emboldened Ministries. We always have a half-price deal. <laughs> if you want favor, you could always get a half-price with anybody else. Because it's free. It is free. Salvation is free. Yes, salvation is free. It is a gift from God. Nothing that we can do to earn it. But we say that. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. When the truth of the matter is, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. And I just want to talk to you a few minutes about this scripture. Can we, just, can we just talk to one another this morning? Okay, 2 Corinthians 5. And if you are ever around me for a long period of time, you're going to hear me quote this scripture. It is one of my favorites. Now then we are the ambassadors for Christ, as though God, as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God for he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become 
the righteousness of God in him. That's scripture. Okay? So I have some questions for you, and I want, let's talk this through. Let me give you some background on this. In verse 16, he's, uh, Rome, Paul writes, we no longer regard one another according to our outward appearance. And then he said that we are a new creation. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you became a new creation. You became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you became. So let me ask you this question. What does it mean to be the righteousness of God? What does it mean to be right, righteous? Tell me. What does that mean? Josh, you better talk to your people. We are in right standing with God. <laughs> that we are acceptable to God. That's what that means. We are right standing with God. The Bible says that we can boldly go into the throne room of grace because we are right with him. Now, let me ask you this question. What did you do to become right with God? What did you have to do to become right with God? Accept his son. That is the, oh, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. So our only responsibility is to believe in Christ and accept him. That's what we did to become the righteousness of God. Are we in agreement? Okay. What did Jesus do so that we could become the righteousness of God? He died on the cross. Rose again. He did one more thing that we talked about here. He who knew no, he lived a sinless life here on earth. And then he died and he took all of our sins upon him and it, we became the righteousness of God and so only thing that we have to do is believe in the Lord right Jesus did all the heavy lifting right so then let me ask you this question what does it take for you to become unright with God what walk in the way walk away Jesus said, nobody can snatch you out of my hands. Jesus did say that. He said, nothing can snatch you out of my hands. So what can we do to become unright? Nothing. 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 Get, settle that in your heart. Nothing. Um, but I got angry at my children yesterday. Alan, you okay? Okay. You know what it is? It's the power of God. <laughs> <laughs> but I became angry with my kids yesterday. Am I still righteous? I had an impure thought yesterday. Am I still righteous? I drove 79 <laughs> in the 70 mile per hour zone. Am I still righteous? <laughs> what can I do? Seriously, what can I do to become unright? And that's something you have to settle in your heart. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I sinned, but I'm still.
the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let it settle in your heart. Let it settle in your heart. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is my identity. And it cannot be taken away from me. And I cannot mess it up. I cannot out sin God's grace. That is not an invitation to try. <laughs> but we cannot out sin God's grace. We are, once we accept Jesus as our Savior, once we've had that moment, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. And the only way to undo it would be for us to go back in time and Jesus said, nope, not doing that cross thing again. That would be the only way to undo it. You cannot sin your way out of being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You just can't do it. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So what is the problem with saying, you know, well, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What is the problem with that? One, it identifies us with our old nature. Because what did, the, what did Paul say? We, are, we have become a new creation. We are a new creation. So, but when I say I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, I am not saying that I am perfect. I am not saying that. What I am saying is that the power of the cross was more powerful than my ability to mess it up. And I'm identifying with who God says I am. I am identifying with my new nature. When we say I'm just a sinner saved by grace, it brings guilt and condemnation. Another thing, if you hang around me long enough, you're going to hear me say this. There is therefore what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you read, everybody know um, John 3, 7, 3, 16. For God so loved the world. But we need to start reading John 3, 17, which says Jesus did not come into this world to condemn us. That is not his, on his job description, is to condemn me. And so when I am saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, what I'm saying is I don't have the power, and we already know God has given me the power to overcome that. When I say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it produces hope. Because that means that what I did yesterday, the mistakes I made yesterday, I don't have to make today. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It's a declaration of defeat. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's a declaration of God's victorious power living in me. He could save even me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Minimizes the power of the cross. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus recognizes that the cross was enough. I don't have to do anything to add to the power of the cross. The cross was enough. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's false humility. I'm the righteousness of Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus agrees with who God says I am. And we can choose today. Who do you want to agree with? I choose to agree with God. 
I choose to agree with him. I choose to declare I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Again, doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. It just means that I know who I am. I know the power of Christ. I am trusting what God did for me. I'm trusting that more than I am trusting my ability to screw it up. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to just declare that. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Tell your neighbor. That's who I am. Do you know there are so many promises for the righteousness of God? For God's righteous people, there are so many promises for, for that. And we will never take advantage of it if we're walking around questioning whether or not we're the righteousness of God. I know one thing, I will never beg bread. Because the Bible says, <laughs> I've been young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Well, at least my children won't have to beg bread. I know that. Because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Stop identifying with your own nature. Can you go to the next one, please? Stop identifying with your own nature. Stop feeling guilt and con condemnation for things God has already forgiven. Forgive yourself. See yourself clothed in beautiful white garments of righteousness. Don't allow the lie, the lie that you are just a sinner um, keep, you, keep you living like a sinner. Embrace what Christ has done for you. See yourself as acceptable to him. I have an example. Ladies, you, you'll understand this later. So let's say, ladies, that you are dressed in your, your, your prom best, best. You're just having a beautiful evening gown and you got your shoes on. You just dress immaculately. Can you imagine that for a second? And I come over to you and I say, oh, let's go, let's go work in the garden right now. What is your response to me? <laughs> I'm not going in that garden dress like this. If, think of it like this. When you say I am a sinner, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, then you are putting on your old filthy rags. And I said, come on, let's go gossip. Oh, yeah, let's go gossip. Let's go run the streets. Okay, I'm, I'm already dressed for it. But if you have on that, your beautiful clothes, like I'm not going gossiping with you. I'm not dressed for it. I'm dressed to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've got my clothes on. I need to go pray for somebody. I need to go heal somebody because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus right now. I don't have time for that foolishness. See yourself dressed in those, those beautiful white robes. And you don't want to get those robes dirty. That's not who you were. That's, that's not who you are. That's who you were. Today, you're dressed in beautiful robes. How am I doing on time? I'm doing okay? Am I doing okay? How much more time do I have? You don't know? Don't tell me that. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm still a black Baptist preacher. So don't tell me that. <laughs> okay. Line, so here's a hack. Find all the promises in the Bible for the righteous and stand on them. Declare them over you. Seriously, there's a book in the back. It's called uh, Triumphantly Free, the Devotional. And at the end of that book are all the promises for the righteous. Just read it and declare it over your life every single day until you begin to change the way you see yourself and you see yourself as who God says you are. All right, let's go to the next one. Lie number two, God is angry with me. 
What is the truth? He loves and accepts us. That is the truth. I grew up all of my life with a very angry God. I grew up with a, what I call a smite happy God. He would smite you in a second. You just get out of line and he was ready to smite you. And it was so freeing for me when I realized that is not who my God is. That my God is a loving God. He loves me. He's kind to me. It is his goodness. It is his kindness that leads me to repentance. It's not his anger. God is not angry with you. So go to the next slide. So I want you to read this with me. This is in Isaiah 54, 9 and 10. So can you go with me? Isaiah 54, 9 and 10. And I have some more questions for you. Isaiah 54, 9 and 10. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For I have sworn, sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth. So I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. The Lord is not angry with you. So when it says this, it says, um, for this is like the days of Noah. What does he mean when he's talking about this is like? What, what event is this? This, but he's talking about now. He's saying this is like the flood of Noah. So it's not the flood of Noah. He said this, he's comparing this to the flood of Noah. So if you read verse 53, he's talking about uh, the death of Jesus on the cross. Because in 53, he talks about we were wounded for his salvation. He was, we were bruised for his iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So he was talking about the cross. So the cross is like the floods of Noah, in that he will no longer be angry with us. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, God is no longer angry with us. Can, can we make that jump? God is not angry with you. So what is his promise to us? He says that he will, his favor will always be with us. His covenant of love will be with us. His peace is with us. He will not leave us. He will not be angry with us. That is his promise to us. Are we okay? Are we good? Are you, are you with me? God is no longer angry with you. And I'm going to tell you why God is not angry with you. Can you go to the Next slide. When we say God is angry with us, what we're saying is that my, my, my sin, what I did wrong, was bigger than Jesus' sacrifice. So I want you to read. You guys are reading 1 John, you said? In 1 John 4.10. Have you gotten there yet? Okay. So, and it's also in 1 John 2.2. So I don't mean to have a spoiler alert, but some of us can't get up at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> On a good day, I'm, always, I'm already at work. Yeah. <laughs> on a good day. Some days are not as good as others. But when they're not, that's when I break the law. Um, <laughs> First John 4, 10, 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that word 
propitiation mean? Because that's not a word you hear every day. What does propitiation mean? Does anybody know? It's an offering, but it's a special type of offering. <laughs> it is an offering that appeases the wrath of God. Are you with me? Jesus was such a sacrifice that he appeased all the wrath of God, all the angry, anger of God, all the things that you did wrong, all the things that you could do wrong, all the things that would have ticked him off. Jesus was an offering that paid that price, that took all of that wrath so that God no, has, no longer has wrath towards you. God is not angry with you. Because if God is angry with you, what you're saying is that the sacrifice of Christ was not enough. The sacrifice of Christ was enough, people. God is no longer angry with you. He's not angry with you. You guys don't seem excited about that because that excites me. <laughs> Maybe you guys don't get in as much trouble as I do. <laughs> but that's something to shout about. That all of his anger was poured out upon Jesus so that we no longer face the wrath of God. I don't care what you did. I don't care how bad you think it was. God is not angry with you anymore, ever. He's never been angry with us under New Testament. God is not angry with us, which also means he's not angry with your enemies either. <laughs> he's not angry with the people that you don't like either. God is no longer anger, angry. We say God, when bad things happen, we say God is punish me, punishing me for my mistakes, right? But let me tell you a secret. Jesus is perfect theology. What do I mean when I say Jesus is perfect theology? We can, okay, so you've read the New Testament, right? Yes? yes. Okay, we've all read the New Testament. Have you ever read the Testament when Jesus like, you know, I'm, I'm so angry with that person, I'm just going to sprinkle a little cancer over there, <laughs> his way. Have you ever read that? No. Or Jesus being like, well, they made me mad, so I'm just going to give them a little bit of poverty. Just a little bit. How did Jesus deal with the woman who was caught in adultery? How did Jesus deal with the prostitute? How did Jesus deal with the tax collector? Jesus is perfect theology. Mm. That doesn't sound like anger to me. That doesn't sound like he's giving them sickness or disease or punishing them. Jesus is perfect theology, people. So when we're trying to think of how Jesus is treating us, we need to think about how Jesus walked and treated people in the New Testament. He invited Matthew, who was right smack dab in the middle of his sin. He invited Matthew to his house. Well, Matthew invited him to his house to come have dinner. How did Jesus deal with sin, sinful people in the Bible? He loved them. He was not angry with them. He met them where they were. He never gave them a disease. He never gave them any bad luck, if you will. He never wished anything bad upon them. Even when his disciples were like, man, they won't, they're rejecting you, Jesus. 
let's call down um, fire from heaven and, and uh, just get rid of all of them. Jesus is like, what the heck? <laughs> Who are you people? Because that's not the way we behave. Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know how God is treating you, read about Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. God is punished. Uh, the third lie from that is I have to earn God's love. You ever feel like you have to? I grew up thinking I had to, I, you know, I came from a father who, who loved me, but it was very, I felt like it was conditional. I felt like I was constantly have to earn his approval. And so that's the way I was, I treated God, like I had to constantly earn his approval. I worked very hard trying to earn God's approval. I was at church every single time the door opened. I tithed, I gave, I did everything that I was supposed to do because I was like, Lord, just please love me. And God was like, I love you. You are mine. I tell people I'm God's favorite. That's my thing, I'm God's favorite. You don't believe I'm God's favorite? I'm God's favorite. God likes me more than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, uh, in, in John, you know, John was referred to as the disciple Jesus loved. You guys know that? John was referred to. That. You know who wrote that? John. That's the only place. Well, that appears. It's in the book, it's in the gospel according to John. So in the gospel according to Melissa, I'm his favorite. Write your own gospel. Put your name in there. Know that God loves you. Walk in that. Know that he is not angry with, angry with you. That he's not upset with you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Absolutely. Romans 8, 35 to 39 is very precise. Nothing, nothing. Not distress, not, not sickness, not famine, not your own sin. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. God's love for you does not ebb and flow with your behavior. God's love for you is not conditional upon your behavior. God's love for you is a constant stream. It's not a variable. That's your math lesson for today. It's constant. And nothing you can do can make you love him more than he loves you at this moment. And nothing you can do can make him love you less than he loves you at this moment. God loves you. The other lies, God, I'm... My sin separates me from God. That's in Isaiah, right? Our sin separates us from God. But we're New Testament people. You need to read the entirety of Isaiah. I, when, when God said that, he didn't like it. His heart was broken by it. So he said, I'm going to find a way to bring my people back. And you know what that way was? Jesus. Because God no longer sees your sin. The Bible says that um, we are holy and blameless. Colossians 1 something says we are homely, holy and blameless in his sight. So if we're holy and blameless in his sight, he is not counting our sins against us. Yes, the world says we have to reconcile with the things that we do wrong. The world does that and you will reconcile for that. But in God's eyes, you are holy and blameless. First Colossians, not first Colossians, I'm making up books. Colossians <laughs> 1, 22. And I'm going to end with this last thing. If you think God is angry with you, you might think God is against you. God is not against you. God is for you. I like to say God is pro-Melissa. God is pro-Melissa. So I am his favorite. <laughs>
God is pro you as well. I want you to put your name in that. I, God is pro Kim. God is pro Tabby. God is pro Josh. And not because Josh is the pastor, just because Josh is his son. He don't get any special privilege for being pastor. All he gets is that little gift card you guys give him. So <laughs> you, <might as well. laughs> you need to give him a, a big one. God is pro. <laughs> God is pro Melissa. God is pro you. God is for you. He is not against you. You are God's favorite. Declare that. Speak that. I'm closing. Go to the next one, please. Declare every day. Make that your statement. Wake up in the morning and say, you know what? God is pro me today. Yay, let's go out. Let's change the world. God is pro me. God is with me today. He's walking into that classroom with me today. He's walking um, into, when we go do our outreach in Fuquay, God is with us. He is pro us. He's going with us. Not Again, not because we're special, but because he is good. This is not, none of this that I've said today is anything to, 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 um, to bring me up or to elevate me. It's all about who God is and what God has done for me. And I walk in that because I have to tell you, this has been a journey for me to come to this revelation. I was not born with this revelation. This, is, this has taken years of prayer and, and on my knees and in his presence to get to this point where I can say God is pro-Melissa, where God loves me despite all the mistakes that I made, not even just years ago, but the mistakes I made yesterday. God is with me. And I walk in this earth in such a way that I know who I am in Christ, that I know he, I'm loved by God. You can tell me a lot of things. You, we can have a discussion on a lot of different things that we can debate. But I'm going to tell you one thing, that I, there is no debate for me. God loves me. There's no debate on that. Jesus is good theology. There's no debate on that. Those things I walk in the surety of Christ. I walk in the surety of knowing God loves me. And I'm inviting you to come with me. Walk in that. Walk knowing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you can walk in that. I don't care what you did yesterday. You can pray for someone with power and authority, not because of what you did, because of what Jesus did on the cross. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So let's go and let's walk. Let's act like it. Embrace your identity. Embrace your identity. Know you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and act as if you are. Know you are loved and accepted by the Father. And then I want you to arise and I want you to do what God has called you to do, what he's called all of us to do. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to govern your sphere of influence while in enlarging your territory. God has called you to govern, to rule and reign, whether or not you work at a bank, whether or not you work at school, whether or not you go into businesses and clean businesses, no matter where you go in life. The Bible says this, when he told Joshua, he said, every place the, the, the soles of your foot tread is yours to have. That promise is ours today. Everywhere you go, you go in the power of God. You go knowing you're loved by God. You go knowing you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You go with that assurance, and you go and you kick the enemy's butt. We are a witness of God's goodness. Everywhere we go, we take dominion over sickness and justice 
inequities, lack, disharmony, anything that raises its head against the knowledge and the thought of God, of the goodness of God, we take authority over it as children of God because we have the authority, we have the power, we are his children, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we are loved by God. That's who we are. Amen. That's it. That's all I got. (laughs) Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord. I'm I'm just in love with you. And, And I thank you for who you've called us to be. And I pray, Lord God, I pray that this is just not some cute little message that got people excited. I pray, Lord God, that it is revelation knowledge for them. I pray that it goes deep into their hearts. I pray, Lord God, that it will change, not just tomorrow, not just this week, but it will change the rest of their lives, that they can look in the mirror and they can see you when they look in that mirror. They can see who you have called them to be, and they can walk in the power and the authority of what you've called them to do. And I pray, Lord God, that that knowledge would not just change Holly Springs, but it would change, it would be like, 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 um, like a fire starting and it would spread throughout this entire country and throughout this entire world. And as Christians, we would take back our schools, we would take back our government, we would take back our communities, mm-hmm. and it would be just permeated with the love and the kindness and the goodness of God. 